Today on TechNATO, we'll be talking with three IT Pro TV members who drop by the studios. We're going to look at Azure's $10 billion Pentagon contract and also talk about an Indian nuclear power plant that was infected with malware. That's all coming up on TechNATO, starting right now. Hello and welcome to TechNATO. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, joined by the always brilliant Don Pizzette. Don, how you doing? I am just pumped up and excited about this week's podcast. And the always sunburnt Justin Dennison. Justin, how are you today? Oh, you're at that club too, eh, my man. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> we, well, we walk out for lunch. It's sizzle, sizzle, crackle, crackle. I hope we can get to our car fast enough. My nightly aloe bath. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's how what I got piped into my house. Sure. It's just pure aloe vera. Straight up aloe. Yeah, got to be careful when you drink it, though. Feels whatever ails you. Yep. Uh, it's like uh, Brondo. Yeah. Right. It's, it's got, got what plants crave. Yeah, it's got, <laughs> got electrolytes. It's got what my skin literally <laughs> craves, <laughs> uh, which is all that, that good vitamins. Um, hey, we got uh, an interesting week today. We've got uh, you know a lot of news articles to get to, some interesting stuff going on in the world. We also had a contest here uh, at IT Pro TV recently uh, called Come See IT Pro TV, because it rhymes. And uh, we had three winners uh, that came in from um, different places around the country. And uh, so we're actually going to talk to them uh, for our interview today. Uh, it's always fun to hear different uh, uh, I'd say origin stories of how people got into IT and and, and what they're doing now and just kind of see uh, what's going on, uh, you know, for the people on the front lines that we're talking about every week. And so uh, we'll hear some fun stories, but that's coming up in a little bit. First, let's go ahead and get to the news. And our first article is at Wired.com. Microsoft is a surprise winner of a $10 billion Pentagon contract. Amazon had long been considered the favorite for Jedi, a project to use cloud computing to modernize warfare. And and I'm sorry, I know we don't get political on this, but is this a big surprise when, when Trump said, let's, uh, quote, screw over Jeff Bezos? <laughs> well, you know, it actually is a bit of a surprise, more so to Oracle, right? Because when this originally broke, I think three or four months ago, uh, that the that there was this big contract and Oracle was suing because they said that the contract was written in a way that only Amazon could win and that it was unfair. And so I was a little surprised to hear about this because nobody had even really thought about Microsoft. And we know that Microsoft is a little more friendly with military contracts than Amazon is. And Jeff Bezos and Donald Trump do not get along very well. So uh, what does he own? The Washington Post, is it? Yeah, he owns the Post. So that's why, yeah, that's that's not so friendly so much. Oops. Yeah. 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 Good old politics. But it does show that uh, anybody can be a winner when it comes to government contracts. This one turns out to be $10 billion, with a B, dollars spread over the course of several years where Microsoft is over 10 years, where Microsoft is going to be providing the cloud infrastructure used by the Department of Defense and, and other organizations. So, you know, Amazon already has what's called GovCloud, which is a private set of uh, it's a private region and set of availability zones just for the U.S. government so they can deploy and know that it's in a private environment. Meaning that this it's is, like you're, you're not sharing machine with someone that's no it's a, it's a separate facility only oh, no. u.s government facility. agencies are allowed to use it so this will be similar but in microsoft azure instead so you know both companies are still dealing with some really healthy contracts with the government uh except for oracle apparently oracle loses no matter what so i'd be curious to see what oracle does uh amazon is even threatening at this point to start up some lawsuits although i don't think they have yet 
That's $1 billion a year. Oh, man, I wish I could figure out some that way to get That was quick math. How did one, you do that that fast? Uh, 10 divided by 10. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Nice that's work. what your degree's in, right? So, yes, it yeah. is. It that's is. why we got him here. Uh, I don't think that's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we learned the other week that uh, that you can get Azure in your in your little backpack now. So I could see, you know, we've got Azure right there on the, on the front lines. And you can use that in the advanced compute functionality and GPUs to find out that $10 billion over 10 years works out to roughly a billion a year. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and we will verify that, Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Peter's going to make some C++ programs that use distributed algorithms to confirm it. Yeah, man, what, I, I would just, I'd be happy yeah. with, with just, just 10% of that. Just Google the answer. Temp- I'll take 1% of that. Well, 1%. I'd be, well, especially if we're not doing anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except in this case, they are actually expected to do something, which is sure. offer a very secure cloud environment <laughs> just for the Department of Defense. Uh, it does run the risk of alienating IT workers, right? I know that uh, there was a small but very vocal group within Google that was protesting their their work to provide, uh, was it AR, augmented reality technology to the yeah, U.S. Like government the drones, uh, or to the military? Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah, well, so you, you brought up the fact that AWS already has that type of facility. Do we know if, if Azure does or if, or if they're using, obviously, some of that money to, to build that facility? I want to say that they had already started provisioning some of their resource. I, I could be wrong about that. The article does say that Google dropped out back in, like, last year. So they just like said no. And they're like nobody. Nobody uses our cloud. <laughs> like we, we're not. We're not going to win this. So we don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so Azure does have Azure government. So they do actually have okay. one for the U.S. government. Well, I like Google's approach too because that, that's kind of been my approach in life. Is you can't lose if you don't try. Good point. That is horrible advice to all it of is. our listeners. <laughs> Remember that at home, kids. I don't know. I haven't tried uh, black tar heroin, and I don't <laughs> feel like a loser. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you are. Maybe yeah. you are. Wow. Look at this square. <laughs> <over there. laughs> all right. Uh, uh, let's get to our next everybody's article. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> over it. Uh, uh, Technado does not condone the use of black tar heroin or any type of heroin. Uh, let's go to tech.slash.org. Uh, ripe Nick. In five weeks, we'll run out of IPv4 internet addresses. I feel like this is something we talked about months back that, that we we saw this coming, right? Right. Yep. So uh, you know the IPv4 pool is a very limited pool. It's a 4.7 billion, 4.3 billion IP addresses. So we've known we were running out for years, and regionally we are starting to run out. Uh, here in North America, our region is already out of the larger address pools. There's only smaller pools available. Like there's no Class Cs, or I shouldn't say Class Cs. There's no slash 24s left here in uh, uh, North Class America. C, that's an RV. That's a that's a record. No, we're vehicle. not talking about CDLs. That's the uh, it has the bed over the cab, right? It's a Class C. Yes, that's exactly it. Sure. And <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what, for like a commercial driver's license, is that what we're talking? No, yeah. Different you get RVs. A class you got C, class, C, class, a, class B, or Class B. A. You know, the only thing I know about RVs are uh, Blackwater, Greywater, and, yeah. and stuff. You I don't. don't you mess don't with. drink those two. Is what I remember. <laughs> but they make great coffee. So I don't know how that matches up with IPs, but RIPNIC, which is the uh, regional uh, registrar for the UK, Europe, and Middle East, and parts of Central Asia, is now as well out of IPv4 addresses. So this is just a further extension of that, uh, that basically if you're requesting IPv4 addresses, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for you to get larger pools. You're going to have to justify them. Even pools as small as like 16 addresses will require justification forms. And it's another call that... If you haven't made the transition to IPv6, 
Now's the time to do it because eventually we're going to get to a point where new web services are going to launch and they will be IPv6 only. Now, we haven't reached that point yet, but it is coming. Probably in the next three to five years, we'll start to see more IPv6 only traffic. Did it skip right over five? Yes. Just like the same people behind Windows 9? Well, there was some product out there that had a trademark on IPv5. Huh. Uh, and so they, instead of messing around with it, they just skipped it. By the way, the uh, the the van we took on the uh, the road to ChannelCon here at IGBTV wrapped with Don's face. That was a that was a class B, class B RV. Was it technically a class? Also B? called a camper van. I don't know. According to this, huh? For some reason, I thought those corresponded to the CDL classes, which are determined by number of passengers, gross vehicle weight. Well, and you didn't need like a CDL to drive that thing. Just a van. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't well, think then. you need any license, right, to drive an RV. Yeah. Uh, I think the large right? license works great. No, you might need for some of the, the yeah ones for the bus. Yeah, I think you have to have a class B there. I, yeah. I could be wrong. Who I knows? like how I, I took one. it off the rails and you guys just followed me. Yeah, you're like you know. Have you, know, you met us into an RV podcast? <laughs> well, I got a, a good transition for us. So, you know, oh, speaking yeah? of hitting the road, uh, you know who could use a nice class A right now is Guido. Uh, let's head over to blog.dropbox.com, uh, the blog called Work in Progress, and it, uh, it says, thank you, Guido, by the Dropbox team. So, I know this uh, headline doesn't give you a lot to work with, <laughs> but I do know, um, you know from my extensive knowledge uh, that, that Guido uh, was the creator of Python. Is that right, Jeff? Yep. Guido Van Rossum was the creator of Python Is way back. Guido? Yeah. It's not I Guido? say Guido. He allows it, but I think technically it's Guido. Oh, I apologize. No, I don't think you have to apologize. I, I think he said he in interviews, he's like, most people say Guido. He's an avid TechNado listener. Though. Oh, yeah, he, he is. Uh, he's Dutch. Yes, Guido Dutch. Van Rossum. Yeah. So Guido Van Rossum. It's, it's pronounced differently. Uh, yeah, so Which, there you go. Maybe so you're related. I apologize to my <laughs> Uncle Guido. <laughs> Uncle Guido. Uh, man, I'm pretty sure he won't allow that. No. He might get. He might look. He might look past the Guido part, but not Uncle Guido. Not getting invited on the RV. No, no, you're not. So yeah, he's uh, he's finally retiring from Dropbox. Uh, he's been working at Dropbox over the last few years. He's helping them migrate their. Um, uh, source code from Python 2 to Python 3. Dropbox uses a great number of uh, Python applications. I think the little sync clients are, are Python-based. Uh, he started out as the benevolent dictator for life of Python, <laughs> the creator, the, the decider, so to speak. Uh, I want to say last year he stepped down over, like he was like, I got to go ahead and start removing myself from this. And there was some contention about a new operator that was added called the walrus operator. It was like a conditional assignment. And then he stayed on at Dropbox to co continue working on MyPy, and I think he's finally going to hang it up and say, I have prepared everybody to take over. Things will move along just so. When, when was Python originally created? You know, I can't remember. Early 90s? 90s, okay. Late 80s? It, it's been around for a long time. Uh, and he actually worked on, I think it's the ABC language. Uh, the teaching language is how he got his start in... Always be coding. Uh <laughs> Yeah, that right? yeah, always be coding. Selling um, is not selling. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, he was part of the ABC uh, programming language that was developed for like teaching and, and kind of high level, easy stuff. And then he kind of said, well, let me write Python. Let me see how this works out. And boom, there we go. Um, yeah. Fun and time. that's then ballooned into one of the most popular programming languages in the world today. Yep. Sure has. And I bet we'll, we'll still see him around probably participating in blogs and it would it would not surprise me. I, I I think his retirement just means I'm not going to go to Dropbox every day yeah. or do this every day. Uh, I suspect he will still be involved or 
uh, take upon causes within the community mm-hmm. that he continues to push forward on. Now, Justin, you are a you write in Python pretty heavily. Uh, it's one of your favorite languages. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. All right. There was a quote in this article that stood out for me, which was um, somebody saying, "What I love about Python is it just works." Now. That is not something I've ever said in my entire life. So uh, is that reasonable or insanity? Uh, so I will say <laughs> the amount of time that it takes to learn Python, you know, just getting started and making something happen is very short for people. It's, it's meant to be fairly intuitive, just happens. However, I know for a fact you and I have had discussions about something Python 2 to Python 3, and you were like, hey, this isn't working. Yeah. And I was like, well, what you do is you have to add this and... You have to decode a string now. And you go, well, why, how would I know that? So there are some hiccups there, but by and large, it is substantially simpler and easier to get up and running. Once you get into more advanced features, I don't know if I can I can wholly agree with it just works. It just works if you know how to use it. Yeah. Well, it, it, that's important to note because my opinion on this is certainly suspect. I am not a developer, uh, and I think most of the applications I've written have been 20 lines or less. So, <laughs> so I, I'm not a good representation on this one. Uh, all right. Our next article is from TechCrunch, uh, a week-long iOS App Store bug wiped out over 20 million ratings. And... Uh, but that, that's just a catastrophe when you think about all the, the pros that people had written um, about, you know, Tinder and... Uh, all the fake paid reviews that this, were lost in that yeah. last week. Uh, I Have you guys noticed this? Like, and I'm going to extend this beyond just the iOS app store, but my faith in the reviews on websites has been steadily declining. Amazon, it used to actually be pretty, pretty reliable. Like, I don't want to buy this because it only has five reviews versus this other one that has 500 reviews. But now... I feel like most of the reviews are fake. I, I can. Recently, I bought something from Amazon. Wasn't expecting it. Got a mail, uh, a card in the mail, and it said, "Please give us a review, and we'll give you a gift card if you do it." And I was like, ah, "I'm gonna go with no on that. I'm not." I'll tell you what. I I'm a member of a uh, a Facebook group uh, for Jeep owners, mm-hmm. and it is run by um, a a company in China that that makes a lot of the products and. They on the Facebook group will say, "Okay, we're giving away twenty of these free." And what you do is you literally go buy it on Amazon. They tell you which one to buy, and then they PayPal you back. And I I did it because I was like, you know, I want this part anyway, and I'm buying it from Amazon, so I'm not getting scammed. In worst case scenario, I have the product I want. Twenty four hours, I had the money back in PayPal, and it's just leave a four or five star review. Greasing the palms of commerce. See, hey, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this stuff's expensive, man. It's, it's up to you. It was just one of those things where I was like, nah, see, I might have sent a review. If you'd have sent me a postcard and said, hey, will you please leave us a review? I would have been more likely to do yeah. it than if you'd have been like, we'll give you a gift card. Because like then I can, just kind of feel dirty. You can look at reviews, though, on products and go, man, that guy got it for free. You know, like, it, I feel like you can read them and, and see when when they're fake. But I agree with you. I, I, don't, I don't have that level of trust anymore because of people like me. Exactly. You're like I've I've undermined my own trust. <laughs> there are people like me out there. But but what happened with this particular leak in this case? So this is we're talking about iOS uh, App Store uh, reviews being being wiped out. Yeah, the the iOS App Store is a bit of a mess right now, and part of it is tied to Apple's kind of changes they've been making with iTunes and the way they're handling things on the back end. This bug took a long long time for them to detect and fix, uh, but at least they did fix it because in the past, like. 
Do you remember the wish list feature that you could uh, wish list or bookmark apps in the iOS app store? If no. you saw an app that you, you kind of were interested in, you could mark it and it would go on a list. Well, they developed a bug in that system and they said, you know what, let's just shut that off. And that's it. Wish list went away and it was gone. And from a marketing standpoint, developers loved it because somebody might not be ready to buy their app today, but they want to buy it later and they'll remember it because it's in the wish list. But now that the wish list is gone, you have to rediscover the app. Well, the same thing goes for reviews. If you want to find reviews, you need to be able to uh, encourage your users to come and leave a review and to lose a week's worth of reviews can be pretty catastrophic. Uh, but that's exactly what happened. And they haven't really released details on it, but usually when it's something like this, you can tell what happened is that some bug occurred or likely somebody found a way to exploit the system and populate it with fake reviews. And so somebody back at Apple said, okay, let's just restore the system back to a point before that occurred. Thus you lose an amount of time. In this case, they lost a week worth of reviews. And uh, they did indicate that they were working to restore the reviews that were lost. And there's a quote at the very end of the article uh, where they say, we apologize for the inconvenience this caused. All ratings and reviews have been restored. So they are claiming to have restored all of the missing reviews. Whether or not that's minus a bunch of fake reviews or not, we we really can't tell. Yeah, what's interesting too is it wasn't uh, it wasn't like everyone across the board lost thirty five percent of their reviews. Uh, it says Starbucks was hit with uh, one point where did it go one point three million uh, reviews lost overnight. Uh, Hulu lost about ninety five percent of their reviews. Um, so that's that's pretty crazy. Nine hundred thousand reviews there. Yep. So I'm sorry, I had to stymie my conspiracy theory because when I read the 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 list of reviews that are missing, it's companies that have a product that may compete with Apple. Well, with Hulu that makes sense, but Starbucks. Um, so not Starbucks, but like Prime Video, uh, Venmo, Apple and, Pay. You know, but I'm I'm not saying that's true. I had to stymie that because then you, you scroll down, it says, well, not only positive reviews were missing, they actually took away negative reviews well, as well. So. And then we find out that like Starbucks screwed up Tim Cook's order one day. You <laughs> <Yeah>. know? <laughs> or no, these, are, these are all companies that came out in, in uh, support of Hong Kong in mm-hmm. the last week. So Is that true? No, that's no, not okay. true. But, <laughs> you know, there, there probably is something like that. Because, I mean, uh, my first guess would be it's someone saying, hey, I want to get my, uh, my app up further, so let me, you know, do something that targets the competition. But mm-hmm. And maybe you, you hit some of these other guys to cover your tracks. Or? This one's a little too broad. It is, yeah. I don't, but but maybe that's the point. But I will tell you, if I was one of those app developers, and you know, I was coming up high in the search, and I woke up one morning and was like, "Whoa, I got two reviews now." I had nine thousand reviews. That shows you the control that you know, or how much you're you're at their uh, their mercy for for a lot of these businesses. I mean, obviously, I don't think Starbucks is at Apple's mercy, but uh, um, or Disney. Yeah. Yeah, or Disney, and but all of its... but, the, but you know those are the ones that people are going and searching by name. But if yeah. someone's you know just looking for a game or something, yeah, yeah, and if you're you dropped out, that can that can really affect the bottom line. So, be interesting to see uh, as more details come out about that one. Uh, let's head over now to Bloomberg.com. Uh, speaking of China, China rolls out world's largest 5G mobile phone network, and so uh, what we've discussed in the past is. You know, 5G isn't necessarily a universally agreed upon standard. So, um, do we know is this 5G, um, what they're calling 5G, a significant upgrade over like what we, for example, have here in in our 4G? No. It, well, it, 
it is an improvement, just like what AT&T is saying with their 5GE or whatever, where it's somewhat made up. It's not the actual 5G. Uh, it is an improvement. It's faster than 4G networks. It can handle more connections and so on. So there, there's certainly benefits to it, even though it's not the actual 5G. But keep in mind that right now, becoming the world's largest 5G mobile phone network is not a hard thing to do because... Yeah. Three towers. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> if you cover more than 10 cities, yeah. then all of a sudden you're you're a big deal. So uh, this is something that's still rolling out. I think what's more important here is here in the US and especially in uh, Europe as well, 5G networks have been held up a little bit because of the giant battle between the US government and Huawei, mm. where Huawei manufactures 5G antennas. And those systems that are being used... That slowed us down here in the United States where the government is no longer allowed to purchase those. And the telephone carriers like AT&T and Verizon are being encouraged not to purchase them as well. And overseas, we're starting to see some of that too. So in China, they don't have a problem with Huawei. And so they're able to roll this stuff out a lot more quickly. Uh, and so they have done that. They've actually rolled out the largest 5G mobile network. So if you're ever in China, you'll get some good data speeds. Well, again, to your point, I mean... You could put one tower in the middle of Beijing and, and probably reach more people with your 5G than... Well, that's right. <laughs> Although, like, density-wise, isn't India more dense? Yeah, de well, yeah, it's a lot smaller space, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I think is Beijing the biggest city in... I don't, I don't know. I haven't been keeping up on my population density statistics. No? Uh, so yeah, I'm going to have to... I have to backtrack. It's new. It's on my New Year's resolution. Population density. Chinese New Year or uh, regular New regular Year? Regular New Year. Or American Ameri New Year. <laughs> yeah, regular. <laughs> well, I'm glad Peter's like, well, let me just take this crazy. <laughs> All you out. All right. Um, well, I'm excited for, I don't know. I, I was going to say I'm excited for when 5G hits here, but then I probably have to buy a new phone, right? Yes. Your iPhone ready. is not well, shoot. 5G. Well, I'm very happy with all 4Gs that I'm using right now. Yeah, you know, here we, we got the antenna problem, but we also have the chipset problem where like Apple was working with Intel to get their own modem made um, uh, because Qualcomm kind of has a bit of a monopoly on that. Uh, so that mess is, is causing some issues too. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the US. There's not a lot of people clamoring to get 5G though, but it'll be nice when we get it. If we had 5G, would the weird congestion that occurs near our building change because i'll tell you if you're trying to get on cellular at certain times of the day near our building you'll be congested faster <laughs> it, it will absolutely not work you're like ah that's cool i'm glad i'm getting email never there there have been dead zones in gainesville for 20 years i think our city is just not laid out you know, we have so many trees here and trees are the are, worst well so trees are full of water right and water deflects a wireless signal. So that's one of the things. Our, our city is very green. If you've never been to Gainesville, we have more trees here than, I don't know, Brazil. <laughs> so, we also have a, a weird favela thing yeah. on the one side of town. Right, our prison. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we super fun site as well. Riots once a year. Yeah, coppers. Yeah. Uh, nice. If you were to fly over Gainesville, though, I mean, you see trees. You don't see a lot of buildings until you get to the campus, and that makes it tough on wireless. And even here in our building, we have a lot of trees outside. Just uh, push a theory out there that uh, maybe no one's sending Justin emails. Oh, no, I get all kinds of spam email. That's how I know it's not working. <laughs> That's your... yeah, I haven't been fished in like an hour. <laughs> this is my metric. Wrong. I have not gotten an ad in the last 20 minutes. This is ridiculous. Something is wrong. Uh, all right, well, maybe the FCC is working on that. Uh, let's find out here on TheVerge.com. The FCC is using streaming services as an excuse to raise cable rates. The deregulation train keeps on rolling. So... 
How is the FCC raising? It's a horrible rates? title, by the way. That doesn't make yeah. sense. It's a horrible title. Unless the FCC is run by the big cable companies. It sort of is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It is heavily influenced and lobbied. Well, um, uh, uh what's his name? Ajit, the head of the FCC. He yeah. he came came from Verizon, Verizon right? Yeah. So that's not really cable. It's well, but, it is but they're a, a they're a media company, they're right? FiOS. Well, I guess if you have FiOS, yeah, yeah. you get the whole thing. Like New York and a lot of big cities. But you know what's interesting here is that the FCC has set some limits on the amount that cable companies can charge because cable companies, by and large, have like government sponsored monopolies, <laughs> and so it's a weird thing. Uh, but they kind of have. Uh, caps on their pricing, and that's being raised up. Now, th- what's interesting to me on this is it's the FCC is basically saying, look, streaming services are hurting the cable companies, so we need to allow the cable companies to charge more. Well, what's going to happen if the cable companies charge more? More people will quit and just yeah. go to streaming services. So this is going to have the opposite effect. Yeah, so there was some like economic theory that was confusing here, but also like the the reasoning they were like, oh, because it's it's based on an act. So there's government regulation based on the Cable Act of like 1992 where it says we will regulate and cap prices if there is no appropriate competition within the market. Well, streaming services are competition. Well, you should raise your prices. Well, hold on a second. <laughs> uh, how's that going to help? And all it's going to do is say, well, we need to make up for revenue because of the customers lost or I don't know. I mean, I have cable internet. I don't have cable television. They may end up discharging me more because I'm using streaming services. I we have AT&T fiber for our internet and uh then we use Hulu yeah. or yeah, our TV. Hulu TV now I've heard yeah. about that. I have We do the full one. It's like yet. 60 bucks a month or something like that. Uh, and our cable bill is way less than what our, our cable bill would have been with Cox Communications and uh you know we get the television shows that we want. It's, it's live channels and stuff too. Yeah, the yeah. $60 one is. Yeah. yeah. It's it's even like things that have some of their own stream is you get CBS uh, like local affiliate CBS. I don't know. Maybe. Well, this sounds I, like a great service. I did, did. We do enough now. Do you think to for that? Paycheck? Do you think we're gonna get? Yeah. Hey, we're gonna get. We're gonna get them free. <laughs> what, what a reliable and and efficient service. So you know, I think we might have talked about this on the podcast. I have a Plex server at home that right. I use for like storing my media, uh, and I have a little device called an HD Home Run that hooks up to an over the air t- uh, antenna. So for the local channels, I just record from that. Uh, so that's why I don't know if Hulu, I mean, I, I get several of the major networks on Hulu. I just don't know if I get the locals cause we just pull them over the air. For some reason I've had trouble with CBS coming in on my over the air HD antenna. Like it'll come in some days and then other days it's like, so yeah, we ended no, up. That's paying. the show. It's oh the show. yeah. It's the middle of a football game. I have direct TV and they've been in a contract dispute with the local NBC <laughs> yeah. for about six months. Oh, that sounds Which awesome. has been great. But you should look into Hulu. You don't notice when a storm's rolling in because no, then you don't get still, anything I don't at have, all. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have the part that tells me I can't get NBC. <laughs> so that's uh, that's the glory you get there, and that's why streaming services are kind of winning this battle. Yeah, so raise your prices all you want. More people will leave, but then they'll charge you more to yeah. use your cable yeah. uh, modem to access the competition. Yeah. Or they'll just shut that down because net neutrality. They can just can they just throttle? Back well, I mean, they can throttle, or you can just they can say, "Hey, you're using Netflix, so you're going to pay us more." Um, but there is like this onshoot of streaming services that are getting ready to come online, like Disney. Yeah. Uh, Apple's getting ready to come online. Plus, yeah. Um, so it, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Not in the articles, but the View, PlayStation View, PlayStation Initial Work oh, View is shutting, shutting down. down. Yep. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant the View with Whoopi and. <laughs> 
Uh, they oh. haven't shut that down yet. I saw a headline that said, uh, you know, PlayStation View, the service you never used, is shutting down. Well, I I used it for several months. Yeah. It was it was good. It was actually yeah. affordable. Originally. I think there uh, there's a few people in the office that used it, and they're like, well, we got to go find something new now. Yeah. So yeah, Microsoft really wanted to position the Xbox too as your your new cable box, kind of with, and that just that never, didn't work out. It really yeah. happened. So. Uh, all right, let's switch gears now over uh, to search engine giant Google on CNET.com. Google workers sidestepping controversial Chrome tool sparks security worries. I'm deeply concerned, a Google security engineer says, yeah. unnamed <laughs> Google security engineer. Um, so this uh, headline's a little different than, than what I remember originally reading, but uh, if I'm understanding right, there was a Chrome extension that was uh, worrying Google employees because they felt it was tracking them. Right, yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, Google rolled out a, a Chrome plugin to be used internally by their employees. So you know, most of them are using Chromebooks or, or other devices. They have their own Linux distro, which I think they just call G Linux or something like that, uh, which is some Debian variant. Uh, but they all have these machines, and they use Chrome because they work for Google. And they rolled out this plugin, which was supposed to serve a few different purposes. I don't know if the article references it here. Um, but uh, oh, here it's designed to activate when workers create calendar events that include more than 100 people or 10 rooms, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's supposed to help manage the way that they're booking their meetings. But employees became concerned that this was a tracking mechanism. And, you know, on, on one hand, you could say, come on, quit being paranoid. But on the other hand, you work for a company that makes their money by tracking people's activities. Like that's what Google does. It's how they generate their revenue. So uh, a lot of the employees got upset about that. And now they've been finding ways to bypass the plugin so that it won't communicate. And what security researchers are finding, and this is kind of a catch-22. So on one hand, the employees want to be able to work without being tracked. On the other hand, by bypassing security systems, they're opening themselves up to potential attacks and malicious sites and other things. And so now it's this kind of death spiral of nobody wins. By the way, the the subtitle there, I am deeply concerned. That's actually what he's talking about. But the fact that they're sidestepping security policies that for like auto updates or, um, you know, Chrome updates. So it's leaving them open for additional security issues. Um, the, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with them. Their, their argument is, is to prevent unionization, like discussions about unionizing. The reason they, they cite is that a meeting that was held overseas somewhere that they tried to organize and like a manager came in and said, nope. And then they went outside and had it anyway. So now they're trying to use that as the argument of this is why they installed this extension. Or you just want to make sure there's not like fire code violations. I don't know. So a million years ago, <laughs> I worked for a law firm. And at the law firm, we had web filtering. So when you browse the internet, everything went through a proxy. I think it was um, uh, web, I don't, know, I don't remember the name, but anyhow, some kind of web filter. And that meant that you didn't get actual good, clean access to the internet. You couldn't go to the, the websites that I wanted to go to. And uh, so... I decided to defeat this. And, and when I say it was a million years ago, I mean, this was probably 25 years ago. It was a long time. And uh, I, I remember to this day, like, I built an SSH tunnel up to my home. So I had an out-of-band connection. And I used a web browser. It was called Ghost Browser. I don't even know if this is around anymore. But it would create a black and white view of any web page 
and nest it inside of Microsoft Word. So you could run Word, and it looked like you were just looking at a regular document, but it was actually a full-on web browser, so you could browse around. If somebody walked wow. by, it just looked like you were working on a, a Word document. Uh, and at the time, I thought it was pretty slick, but looking back on it now, by subverting the web filter, you know, malware is a lot more advanced now. So I could have gotten like a drive-by infection on my machine that the web filter would have protected me from. So I kind of put that company in danger, uh, but it's past the statute of limitations, so I don't really care anymore. <laughs> but that's that's the kind of thing that happens here, and that's why the security researchers are concerned about it. Happened a lot when I was a school teacher. Like, people were like, no, you shouldn't be able to see that. But I can see Like it. students? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it wasn't me. Uh, they actually blocked me from legitimate sites. They would block me from GitHub. They're like, can't go there. It's dangerous. It's I was like, bad stuff. Full of viruses. Uh, I well, tried. Actually, the yeah. virus zoo in GitHub does have viruses. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. literally. <laughs> full uh, of viruses. Uh, I was like, but they can bring that same thing from home on a thumb drive because we didn't limit like physical device access. And they're like, oh, uh, but that's different. Yeah, that By the way, happened. I looked up Ghost Browser. I don't know if it's a rebranding or not. It's not that in Microsoft Office browser. It's the it's touted as the web browser that makes you more productive. Well. The, the one I used nope. did not. <laughs> well, it depends on what. The one I used let me play fantasy hockey. Yeah. <laughs> Whose definition of productivity? But, but by the about? way, it's Chromium based, so it's essentially Chrome. Oh no, yeah, that's, yeah. that's definitely not it. Yeah, yeah, the productivity this, browser for tech pros. This reminds me. Uh, I I know you're a fan, Don, but you, uh, have you watched? Uh, there have only been one episode so far of the new season of uh, Silicon Valley, the final mm-hmm. season. Uh, I think they're they're tackling kind of like security and tracking and stuff this year because. Uh, he testifies before Congress about tracking, and then there's a whole thing about what data is being captured on their network. So uh, you should definitely check it out. I'll have to check it out. Silicon Valley's. I did watch Stuber, which uh, had one of the guys from Silicon Valley in it. That's uh, not like watching that show. Then. There was not a lot of technology. I think there was some Twitter was involved. Yeah, yeah. that that had uh, had like a two on Rotten Tomatoes, right? You know, I went into it with low expectations. And they were met? I laughed on several occasions. Oh. Uh, so it was... so I, I argue that that whole movie thing, the whole movie critic thing is getting a little out of hand because if you just set appropriate expectations up front about the movie you're getting yeah. ready to see, yeah. Yeah, that's what you can enjoy most movies. Yeah. If you say, if you're comparing every movie to like Citizen Kane or Godfather 2 or something, yeah, yeah that movie's going to be terrible. If you're saying, hey, for a Will Ferrell movie, this is a good Will Ferrell C- movie. Case in po- we went to see uh, the remake of The Clash of the Titans when I was in grad school. We I'm walked sorry. in. Watched it. I was like, cool. I was entertained. And they go, I had a couple of friends. Well, that just didn't have any story. And I was like, hold up. <laughs> Is that what you came here for? Because that's not what I came here for. Yeah. I came for mythological beasts. Yeah. Computer animation. I was really hoping for the owl. You didn't give me that. There's no owl in the remake? I didn't see the remake. The, oh. They like, like, they, they like, yeah, it's a piece mouth? of junk. And they yeah, throw it yeah they're like fanboy. Yeah, and then insulting. they throw it away. And oh. But that's what I came for. That's what I got. They were looking for like mind blowing storytelling, and yeah. I was like, "That's not what I came here came for." Came to the wrong film. Like yeah. I saw that Sherlock and Holmes movie with Will Ferrell, and and I know that got like a zero on, yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. But I'm like, I, I laughed at the appropriate stupid parts because that's yeah. what I went for. But exactly, yeah. Will Ferrell and John C. Riley in a movie. I so, bet it's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, and I and I bet most legitimate critics will say that's the dumbest thing I've yeah. ever seen, and I'm, that's why I want to go see it. I'm going to go watch it. Yeah. Hobbs and Shaw is not up for an Oscar. But I bet they blow really? stuff up pretty good. Yep. <laughs> and I like Jason Statham in The Rock. What are the opposite of Oscars? The that's the, the Razzies? Razzies, yeah. that's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it'll win a couple They'll of probably those. get those. Uh, all right, let's head over now to gizmodo.com. 7.5 million Adobe accounts exposed by security blunder. Well, luckily, uh, I use Don. 
Don's uh, yeah. Adobe account here, so <laughs> I feel like uh, I'm in good shape with Premiere and You know, normally Photoshop. we say stuff joking around and all, but that's actually a true that's story. 100% <laughs> true. <laughs> so, what, do you, what do you get, a couple you user know, accounts on yours? So I got one of them. Have you ever been to the site Have I Been Pwned? Yeah. And you can type in your email address, and it will tell you if your account showed up in a breach somewhere. And almost everybody is in there. Why? Because of an Adobe breach that happened about 15 years ago that almost everybody got wrapped up in it. I'm in it. Uh, well, you're in it transitively because you yeah. use my account. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're in it twice. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, it, Adobe had a big breach. Well, guess what? Uh, they're going for a twofer. They're back. <laughs> they're back. Uh, another unsecured database. This goes back to like S3 buckets not being secured. In this case, an unsecured database was exposed to the internet. A security researcher found it. Potentially other people found it as well. And 7.5 million Adobe accounts have been exposed as a result. Your payment information is not a part of it, but everything else about your account is. So... Congratulations, an early Christmas gift from Adobe. So is this saying that these accounts were left unprotected and and could have been seen? Or is this saying, nope, we confirm these have popped up on the dark web. People have we've seen people have seen these. So this one they have actually found it on the dark okay. web. Uh, and so it has been released. Like you can get a copy of this database if you want to right now. Uh, but a researcher was able to verify that there was an exposed database. They found where it came from, and they've secured the database. They stopped the breach, but it's kind of too late at this point. Yeah, so if you start getting uh, emails about updating your Adobe software, I'm guessing we should be very cautious about that, right? Again, it's done software. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, he's fine with it. I'm updating. Whatever. And <laughs> well, that's not what Photoshop's supposed to be doing. You think there'll ever be a time where someone just says, man, you know what? We should not leave this database exposed without a password and just a, a single admin user. Uh, you know you know what I blame for this? DevOps, right? Uh, and and people like Justin. And not that it's your fault, Justin, but like you're a developer yeah. and you're good at it. Yeah. I shouldn't expect <laughs> you. Well, all right, so you're decent at it. But I don't think it's fair that I should expect you to know how to secure a database, right? And configure a firewall and monitor for, you know, access across the system. That's not what your job is. And in the past, we had system admins, security admins, developers, like everybody kind of knew their role and did it really well. And in today's dev environment, we expect developers just to do the whole shebang or blindly trust that a cloud provider is going to do it for them. We We've set ourselves up for failure. What do they say? Those who can't do teach? Is that right? Those who can do, those who can't teach, I believe is the saying. Right. That's that's, that's funny. Uh, so I hope you like your job. <laughs> uh, it seems like, I know I work for a training provider, but let me shoot things I can't even teach. <laughs> let me tell you, it's very easy to disprove that statement, right? Yeah. Like, go into any karate dojo and mess with the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. it, oh, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, he broke me. He broke Turns me. Out, yeah. uh, but I will say, I've been in situations where, like, hey, Justin, we need you to do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, I have no idea how to do that. Ah, oh, you'll figure it out. I'm like, I'm, it might work, but it's not going to be good. Yeah, and but, cloud providers can get you there part yeah. of the way, but they can be misconfigured, and that's what we're seeing here. So, you know, there is no substitute for education. You need to learn how to manage this stuff, otherwise, you're going to have breaches. And, Companies like Adobe, they say they're trying, but we still have things like this happen. Uh, you know, article we didn't put in here, we reported on Encapsula, uh, which is by the company Imperva, the web application firewall we use, they have a breach. Uh, I expressed that I was a little 
unhappy with the CEO's response. They didn't really share a lot of data with us. Uh, he actually stepped down yesterday, so he's out. Uh, and data breaches like these are becoming more frequent. So it's nice to see a CEO being held responsible for it. I hope we see more of that. I, I think that was in direct response to, uh, to me. To yeah, to your commentary. We have to be careful now because look at the power that we wield. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, with great power comes great responsibility. Thank you, Uncle Ben. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the rice guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of breaches, uh, let's head over to ZDNet.com where we learn about another one here. City of Johannesburg held for ransom by Hacker Gang. A group named Shadow Kill Hackers is asking officials name. for four Bitcoins or for they'll release the city data online. So this is a little bit different than normally it seems like we're uh, encrypting your data. And and we will unencrypt it for you if you pay us. They're saying we will release your data online, which yeah. is a whole different kind of liability then. So um, there's a couple of things that make this uh, unique. And I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't like reporting on cities getting hit anymore just because it's a different city each week, so who cares? Uh, but in this scenario, this is the second time the city of Johannesburg has been hit. Uh, so this is not uh, this is like a repeat offense. They, they they should have put the proper defenses in place to prevent this, but didn't. It's yet to be seen if they're able to recover without paying. The fact that it's only four Bitcoin, which amounts to, I don't know, less than $30,000 right now, it, it's not a ton of money, uh, makes me think that this might not be real or it might not be widespread. Uh, and that threat to release the data, usually when you get hit by ransomware, it encrypts the data, but it all stays right there on the machine because exfiltrating across the network takes a lot of bandwidth and a lot of time. Uh, so I think that might be an empty threat on this one. Well, it, it seems like uh, this is this is prime for give us four Bitcoin so we won't do it. But if you have it, there's nothing I would not trust you to not do it anyway or to come back two days from now and go, we need four more Bitcoin. Up two days from now, we need four more Bitcoin. Well, that, that's the interesting thing about this one to me, because when it's an issue of the encryption, you know, that that's that's one thing. And you can say, oh, well, luckily we have backups and they're air gapped. And so I'm able to not pay this ransom and just roll back from from my backups, lose a day or two um, of our data. Uh, in this case, in a, in a case like this, if they actually did exfiltrate all, all that data, doesn't matter if you had a backup or anything like that. They've still got that data that they have that has, you know, PII of your your citizens or, um, you know, whatever billing things they might have if they're part of the utility. I don't know. So it, it seems a little more frightening than uh, or, or, or a little bit harder to, um, you know, have good procedures in place to remedy. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. If they were like, we're the shadow kill hackers, yeah. I'm like, you're on a gaming site, aren't you? This is like a gaming crew or something. <laughs> Listen, or, kids, do you want A's in your class? Which middle school are you yeah, in? Yeah, or this is like a garage band that's trying to make it big, and they're like, well, we got to make our first album, Shadow yeah, Kill Hackers. We're, we're releasing our demo. <laughs> we want we want four Bitcoin or 100 CSGO keys. Right? <laughs> <Yeah. That's the laughs> and until you do, we're putting our mixtape on your server. Yeah. For everyone to download. Well, that's uh, that's sad for, for Johannesburg and uh, that they... Oh, you have know, continued to keep the same IT staff. So that was another article that we didn't have time to throw in on the show was um, CSGO. Do you guys know about CSGO keys? No. I just kind of threw it out there flippantly. It's uh, like Pokemon Go, right? CSGO is Counter-Strike Global Offensive. It's a video game. Oh, Counter-Strike, yeah. And so Counter-Strike is uh, by Valve and uh, you know, people that own Steam. 
And in the game, apparently you get these loot boxes, but you need a key to unlock them. And people trade the keys online for real money. It's kind mm-hmm. of become like an unofficial currency. Well, this week, Steam actually suspended CSGO keys. Like, you can't trade them anymore because they determined that almost all, almost 100% of all CSGO key transactions were for illegal money laundering. Like, they've basically been running one of the biggest money laundering systems in the public eye for years now, and so they actually had to shut it down. Oops. (laughs) Pretty neat. Not bad. That's happened with a bunch of, uh, like, online games. I remember when I played several multiplayer online games, and you would go on eBay or, like, these little exchanges, and i go, are people really paying $1,000 for that? And they're like, yep, sold three of them this morning. Real money. Yeah. It was crazy. I didn't. I was also bad at it. So there you go. There you go. Uh, all right. Let's go over now to ArsTechnica.com to learn about uh, our next uh, government getting pwned. Uh, <laughs> in- oh, I love it. They call it a fission attack. Indian nuclear power plant's network was hacked, officials confirm. After initial denial, company says report of, quote, malware in the system is correct. And that is not the kind of thing that you want to hear is, is right. undergoing a ransomware attack. Yeah, imagine if like the temperature control system in one of these nuclear plants gets shut down because of malware. I, I think that's what happened in the Chernobyl. I, I haven't finished that whole documentary. But <laughs> I assume. I don't think. I, is I, that I, not what happened? I, I, I think sure. somebody was like, what happens if we remove these carbon rods? Oh, that too. Uh, no, I think it didn't Rasputin cast a spell or something? Yeah, oh, actually, you know what? I forgot about that. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's right. All of those are probably we'll need lies, to finish by the that. Way. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we'll never know. But uh, anytime you mess with a nuclear plant, you potentially affect the entire world, which draws a lot of attention to this. This one is actually very similar to the attacks that happened in Iran, where uh, some unnamed countries that certainly weren't Israel and the United States uh, worked to push the Stuxnet malware out to shut down some Iran nuclear processing plants. This is similar, except we don't know who did it yet, and. While there was a very clear motive for the United States to target Iran, I don't really know who would target India. I think the only people mad at India right now are Pakistan, but I'm not up on my regional they're politics. They're very mad. So, they, they are very, very mad. Yeah, they do not get along at all. Oh, so. it says uh, they have acknowledged today that the malware attributed by others to North Korean state actors has been found on the administrative network uh, of the power plant, which I will tr- not say I the name why of. why North Korea would be mad at India. I'm not really familiar with their relationship yeah, well, it seemed like a like a peace-loving people would this possibly be used for just trying to get exfiltration of data for nuclear plans or information Maybe. right because don't they have oh, uh, like kind of lockdown on like their nuclear facilities they've had like yeah I mean, there's sanctions on sharing yeah. that that data with yeah. them uh, i mean we've also seen in the past and reported about the billions that that north korea is reported to have earned through through attacks so i don't know if there's a ransom in this case yeah um but I would but think if right, you were that, just doing information gathering, they wouldn't want to be known that they were there. They wouldn't you know, lock the systems or take them offline. They'd want as much access as they could but get. But that's not what they did, yeah. right? It just says identification of malware in the system is correct. So they you know, oh, so maybe don't know how long it's been there. Yeah, it's it, D-Track appears to be an espionage and reconnaissance tool. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Uh, gathering data about inf- infected systems and capable of logging keystrokes, can- scanning connected networks, and monitoring active processes on infected computers. Huh. It seems like they're just out for information. That's very different than Stuxnet, right? Yep. So Stuxnet, Stuxnet was, like was shutting the system down. Yeah, Stuxnet was to under-the-table Oops, the centrifuge goes bad, but you don't know it's bad until it's really bad. It could have been anybody. Yeah. Uh, anybody. Anybody. Definitely not the United States. Probably us. 
Uh, all right. Well, uh, that's it for the news this week, guys. Did I, did I miss any articles? I know I've done that before. No, I think uh, yeah. I managed to throw in numerous articles just in the middle of all the others. Fantastic. <laughs> well, uh, as promised, we do have uh, some very special interviews today. Uh, three separate, uh, what do you call them, bite-sized interviews? Little, sure. Uh, interviewlets? Inter- Does that work there? No. Interviewitos? Yes. Interviewitos. Uh, tres? Interview is that cultural appropriation? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Well, it was Peter's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead and take a look at those now, right after this, here on Technado. I'm James Packer. I'm the general manager of Kirk ISS based in the Cayman Islands. I used IT Pro TV extensively in my last place. It grew very well, it helped upskill the team. I had 110 engineers in the field and we had dozens of IT Pro accounts with the guys training and last year alone they passed over 40 certs by using the online training. I think I can safely say um, without IT Pro TV I wouldn't be where I was today because I only got this job on the back of the qualifications I have. All right, welcome back to TechNado. Time for our interview today, which is a very special interview. We actually had a contest recently uh, here at IT Pro TV, which was called Come See IT Pro TV, where, as it sounds, you were able to uh, win a chance to come and, and uh, spend a day in the studios, meet all the entertainers, um, see how things work behind the scenes. And uh, we decided part of that would be to bring these people on TechNado because they all have interesting stories about uh, their journeys in IT. And we have our first winner here today. It is Quinette Juarez, who is coming to us all the way from Houston, Texas. Texas, how are you yes, doing today? I'm doing okay, thanks. We're really excited to have you, and you're actually, you have a really cool job. Can you tell us what you do? Monitoring space junk, or, yeah, I, <laughs> well, in a nutshell, but I help support the systems for the Orbital Debris Program Office at NASA Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. Yeah, you're with uh, Jacobs Engineering Group, which is uh, a contractor for NASA. Correct. And so, uh, yeah, we were talking about you have, uh, what did you say, you, basically she's a space garbage person? Space, space trash woman. Space yeah. trash woman, yeah. Space garbage, yeah. <laughs> space garbage woman. So, uh, I mean, I know you're obviously not on that side of things, but uh, so we're talking about like things in, in Earth's orbit that are, you know, could interfere with satellites and stuff like that. Oh, yes. Um all sorts of even small paint specks are a huge danger to satellites. So oh. just anything, all the man-made uh, or objects uh, don't serve a purpose anymore. Just floating around, orbiting that haven't been dragged back into or, or fallen yeah. from the sky. <laughs> and do, do you work with the systems that track all of that? Because it's got to be a, an impressive amount of hardware required to track all of it. Um, we do have some. Gosh, there's so many different divisions. That I, I wouldn't know which ones to cover, but. But my specific group, I know that we get uh, tapes actually from MIT. There's a Haystack and Hacks radar. Radar's there, and they send us the data, and then we'll do some radar data processing and analysis on that. And I actually do a little bit of that still because I used to start out uh, uh, doing radar data processing, but now I just do mainly just IT. But sometimes if they need extra help, then I'll help them work the software since I've been working the software for so many years on processing radar data. Now, when you say you do IT, what what does that mean? Like, are you uh, supporting all the other employees, kind of like uh, desktop support? Are you working on servers? What What is your um, role? So it's just me and one other woman for uh, the Orbital Debris Program Office, and I monitor, maintain, secure Linux and NAS systems for our group. So, um, so Linux systems is that is that where you uh, got to see? Mm-hmm. Don's amazing episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he feels like a you know my celebrity here. That a <laughs> well, 
or swooning. Uh, yeah, I know. I was like, woo, there's a celebrity right in front of me. I know, right? <laughs> what what courses were you were you watching specifically? There was some security courses. I even went through some of the intro courses, even though I've been, you know, using Linux for such a long time, but even going through the intro courses helped because I got to learn some stuff that I didn't know existed, some commands like the the sudo minus s. Mm-hmm just to become root. And I was like, oh, you mean I didn't have to type sudo each and every darn time just to run a command? I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I take a lot of notes from a lot of your class. I've taken so many courses, I don't even remember what I've taken, but a lot, because I was required to take at least four hours of my choosing. And so most of my classes courses were yours. That's awesome. I- are, are people using Linux like on their their you know workstations or? Um, well, yeah, they the SSHN from their the Windows desktop, but, but yeah. Gotcha. That's what you're asking. So your normal setup, though, would be a, a Windows desktop, but then your servers are Linux and applications are running from that? Like, is yes. It, is it still older applications, kind of like the green screen terminal type stuff, or or do you guys deal with web apps and, and newer type development? Um, I guess they're just, well, they do have some old stuff, in, but they're trying to, I guess, what do you call it? Modernize. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. I'm short yeah. for words here. We've been talking about <laughs> legacy systems and a lot of. Well, oh yeah, Windows we have a lot of problems with that stuff like that because you're, you know, governments. You've got something that works. Oh, yes. uh, but oh yeah. If you think about NASA, like it, if they say, all right, we need some new software to track space debris. Let's go on Amazon and see what's out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So pretty much everything's custom built, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. And like you were saying, the legacy software. Oh my goodness, because um, you know, there's so many problems up and coming problems with security and you need to have something with, you know, with the updated OS, but, but it only works with this old Fortran program on this kind of platform. And so they're, they're constantly having to, you know, rewrite programs and rewrite from this to whatever. Now, you know, recently Python and having to change so many lines of codes just so that we can move it onto a different system, just so that we can, you know, install patches and it can be secure and not have a vulnerability in our system. So yeah. There's a lot of problems with that. <laughs> All right. So what what is the what is the coolest technology that you get to work with? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> is, there, is there one system where like I know for me that people come to me and say like Don I need help with this and I go oh God I don't want to mess with that thing again. But sometimes there's there's systems where I'm like oh yeah this is going to be fun right. Is there something that you look forward to working on? Actually, no. I'm sorry. I'm boring. Um, <laughs> What's the thing they won't let you touch then? <laughs> well, anything that has this behind the uh, walls of security clearance, I can't go in those rooms because I don't have a security clearance, so I can't go in there. So I don't know what the heck's in there or what yeah, kind of systems on it. That's space debris right there. Yeah, that's so, where the aliens are. There's actually yeah. aliens running those systems. Hey, I don't know. Maybe because I'm not allowed in those rooms. I don't know what's going on. It's only, you know, DOD folks and other people. And I know if something's coming through or if there was a collision or China accidentally exploded a satellite or something, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know when it's going to, I don't know until the actual public knows, you know, from when it's cleared and whatever, but. But yeah, but there is a lot of exciting stuff that's always happening, but I don't get to be involved in it. <laughs> so now we're, working in NASA is really cool, but obviously you didn't work there your whole life. So how did you get to this point in your career? What what made you get into IT and what led you to <laughs> where you are now? Actually, I started out in the medical field. I was going to be a dietitian. I really had no interest in life. I, I still <laughs> don't have no interest. In I'm sorry, I'm such a boring person. Trying to find yourself. Because when I... Because working at NASA, I work, they all knew that they wanted to be there since the age of four. They all know, oh, yeah, this is so cool. I work with a bunch of, am I allowed to say it, geeks and nerds? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> 
and I just um I um so I my dad said you can't keep wasting time you have to pick a major so I said okay fine I'll just do what you're doing because my dad was doing Unix system administration at NASA actually and so I said I'll I'll do that that way you can help me with my homework (laughs) and then another thing he was um there was a summer intern um work at NASA my dad also forced me to do that too and I didn't want to but I'm so glad now because I'm still there and so okay I said I'll do that so I started off as an office assistant I just um made all sorts of deliveries all over the side of NASA, did filing, accounting, just any kind of menial task. And then when I heard that another woman was leaving her position and I asked the manager, I said, hey, can I take over hers? Because she was doing radar data processing. And I said, "Um, if you train me, would I be able to do that kind of job? And he said, oh, yeah, I guess you could. Yeah, we could do that for you. And I never thought about that. And so I got into radar data processing and then as I was going through school while, you know, working at the same time, there was a system admin there and I asked the manager, the same manager again, I was like, can I help her do her job and, you know, follow her around? Because since I'm doing that in school, I want to, you know, be able to actually do the work. So, cause it's not the same when you're just right reading and studying and not actually on the job training and working, fixing things. So I got to do that. And after I got my um, BS and CIS computer for, computer information systems and I got well they opened up that position for me the systems analyst and here I am today doing IT and now it's like <laughs> it's like a dynasty right your, your dad did it now you're doing it you yeah know, your children will go on to do it it's, uh, yeah yeah sure okay <laughs> name the space center after you yeah right yeah well, that's awesome. Uh, so, what uh, is there? Is there anything you're you're kind of looking at on the horizon in terms of um, technologies you want to learn, or you know, positions you're seeing, you know, at NASA that you want to move into that you need additional training for? So, actually, at work, they have been um, pushing me more into doing a lot of uh, security and learning up a lot a lot on that, which I know nothing of. So, um, actually, and I've also been watching your. YouTube videos and the pen testing and ethical hacking, stuff like that. And I thought, oh, you know, that's pretty cool. Would I be able to do that? You know, it works with security and stuff. And I thought, okay, so if I get laid off or fired, you know, I'm going to (laughs) (laughs) hacking. Fantastic. No, not hacking. (laughs) Ethical, ethical hacking. I meant pen testing. I'm going to write the best ransomware ever. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And now that I know all the back-end systems (laughs) NASA. I I know. Yeah, I mean. They're going to pay some Bitcoin to get that uh, <laughs> that ship back, I think. Well, thank you so much for for uh, for not only you know being a member, but coming and and sharing your story with us. We really thanks for it. having me. It's good seeing you too in person. It's weird because I I really do y'all really do feel like celebrities because I've been watching so many of your you know your Technado episodes. I'm like, oh wow, now I get to see them in person. <laughs> well, I'm redder than I normally am. <laughs> Now, impossible. It's saying a lot. Well, uh, thank you again for uh, for coming in and uh, hanging out with us. And thank you, uh, everyone, for watching. But stay tuned because we're going to do more of these interviews coming up in just a second here on TechNATO. Are you a career changer or a budding tech pro who's looking to start their career in IT? I'm Wes Bryan, and along with my fellow IT Pro TV edutainer, Cherokee Boos, we've just shot a new show just for you. Each week, we'll dive into topics to help you launch your career in tech. Watch how to get started in IT on YouTube now. 
Just head to youtube.com forward slash ITProTV to watch and look for new episodes every Saturday at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. All right, welcome back to TechNado. We've got another guest now here in the studio from our Come See IT Pro TV promotion. Uh, we're joined now by Mason Ballou, who is a uh, SOC analyst at Global Payments. How are you doing, Mason? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm great, thank you. And uh, you're joining us all the way down from the uh, the greater Atlanta area. Is that has that been home for life? Um, the so native Atlanta, Atlanta. Yeah, Metro Atlanta. Okay. Born and raised. So tell me a little bit about. Uh, I mean, I know what a SOC is, but what is a SOC analyst? Are you just kind of watching that big screen waiting for like a bunch of red blinking lights to go off and then you do stuff? So we have certain tools that we monitor, um, SOC being the Security Operations Center. I'm a SOC analyst, so we have various tools that we monitor, whether it's uh, malware events, network intrusion events, um, see the occasional privacy event. So a little bit of everything. And you're in the like the financial industry, so yep. I got to think that's pretty frequent yep financial technology that is correct so how often are, are you know things coming up um i would quite a bit i mean it's it's every day something new so when you monitor things like this uh you know, obviously it, it can be a pretty big system I, I we used to focus on servers or like network infrastructure where we focused a lot but we're seeing a lot of the breaches coming from workstations too so do you monitor like end-to-end, -end, or you focus on the server and network infrastructure? We monitor everything from the endpoints themselves to the user accounts to um, any device on the network. And I, I'm, the, the gears are turning really fast here in my head because I'm trying to find some kind of phishing approach I can take with them. Like, you know, so, so when you log in, do you use a username? or so do you use a It's funny that you're doing it because at lunch, uh, we I did the same thing. I was like, do you have some like forward-facing user accounts and maybe have some weak passwords? What were your favorite Dog. Or well, we have the service school. account, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and their passwords. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. This is recorded. Um, it actually brings up. You're watching these events. Has there ever been a time where you went not again? And if so, what, what kind of things are you seeing there? Um. So, so normally when we get those moments, normally it's uh end user grabbing something out of their spam folder, and you just ask yourself, you say, why the spam folder? Well, we call it the second inbox. Yeah, yeah. it's our second inbox. <laughs> we get so many false positives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I, I can up. see that, but is really people just go digging around and go, I do want a new car and some money. Click. Uh, like I said, I mean, <laughs> something new every day. So so tell us about how you got uh, to the position you're in now. Did you uh, you know come out of school and just say, this is what I want to do, or, or what was that path like? No, actually, quite the opposite. Um, had quite a drastic career change. I um, I joined the Army Reserves while I was still in high school um, as an intelligence analyst. So uh, primarily focusing all source. So dealing with every type of military intelligence. So electronic intelligence, signals intelligence, you name it, we dealt with it. And uh, we would actually put all that together and you know give a situation update to whoever's in charge. Um, I mobilized back in 2012, came home and actually got in the transportation industry where, um, I started off part-time as a dock worker, driving a forklift, worked my way up to full-time and then into management and was working 60, 65 hours a week and decided that that's not what I ultimately wanted to do. And, um, I left my position and started studying seven, eight hours a day to get my security plus certification. And um, managed to, you know, achieve that goal and getting that and started applying and uh, had a company that went out on a limb and hired me, you know, without the 
um, what I thought was enough experience, and uh, it's worked out well. Now, I'm curious because you, you were doing military intelligence, which, you know, if, if we think IT security officer, military intelligence, you're handling sensitive data, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, did you find that you learned or that you had practical skills from that stint in the military that you were able to use in the real world? Or, you know, you took a little bit of a break and then got in. So did you have to learn from scratch? Um, so a lot of the concepts are very similar. So like the, the OODA loop. Um, is used largely in military intelligence community. And also, like, if you're getting into, um, like, threat intel, you know, in the cyber realm. So a, a lot of the, I guess, the concepts of how you would, you know, look at an event um, are very similar. So I had that going for me as far as, you know, how to think about something occurring. But as far as, you know, technicalities and, and getting into specifics, I pretty much had to teach myself everything. So obviously you're you're an ITPR TV member. That's uh, how the contest went. Uh, so what uh, what courses have you been doing recently, and what what things are you looking at uh, learning in the future? So I'm doing the uh, Size of Plus right now, and um, I'm enjoying it. It's very hands on. So the content is there, and also doing the, um, the virtual labs and the practice tests. So it kind of reinforces itself. Um, you can do everything you need, you know, right there within the course. Um, and I haven't really decided on where I want to specialize. I don't know if I want to go threat intel or malware analysis or pen testing. So it's going to be one of those three. I've narrowed it down. And so you've, you've been watching a lot of Daniel Lowry's content? Yes, yes. I watch a lot of Daniel's content. I'm so sorry. I know. It was a tough <laughs> hire because I said, you know, I, I wanted to hire a hacker, not a no-talent hack, uh, right? But, you know. Uh, it Daniel. was close. It was close. <laughs> However, without that string of horrible decisions, I may not be here. So uh, Good point. Yeah, yeah, good point. Turned out he is a no-talent hacker. Yeah, yeah I yeah. am. I am. Uh, I'm like hacking. <laughs> have you yeah. watched any of the OWASP content that Daniel and Justin put out? I, I have not, but they've told me about it today, and I plan on watching those uh, yeah. probably this evening. It's on uh, Comedy Central. It is. Yeah. It is. There's <laughs> it's some pretty good funny in there. Um, well, I thought it was funny. but Funny I also, at the time. Not, not funny in front of a judge. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. If, if I'm subpoenaed over it, then uh, it won't be funny yeah. anymore. Most of that stuff's been edited out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it has. I think it has. So we had several takes there. Um, so from your area of specialization... Something I always found interesting is like trying to physically enter somewhere, like talk to someone and go, hey, I need to get in your server room. Is that something that interests you or if not, why not? Um, yeah, I would think so because you're at that point, you're playing on the human element. So social engineering. And I would say, you know, the majority of people want to help someone else. So, you know, whether you're you come across as, you know, you're portraying that you're in a rush or you need help or I mean, whatever the case might be, there's so many different ways to approach social engineering. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that interests me. And, you know, playing off social engineering is definitely a good way to gain entrance, you know, to a physical location. Or to win a contest. You want? Did you want to tour the server room again? <laughs> sure. <laughs> She's like, can I plug in this thumb drive? Just a, yeah, it'll be test. fine. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, as long as the marketing team is the one doing the tours. <laughs> oh, not this one. Wait. Oh, no, 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 no. I think we got to cut this. <laughs> uh, we need a metal detector. <laughs> well, uh, I want to say congratulations again, and, and thank you so much for uh, for coming down and sharing your story with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, and thank you all of you for watching. But stay tuned. We've got more Technado coming up right after this. Hi, I'm Vicki Guy. Join me each week for Ignite Stories of Leadership, a podcast from the Pro TV Network. Each week, I'm joined by a different guest from around the world, 
as we explore issues to ignite the leader in you. Building on my long career in corporate learning, I'll bring you face-to-face -face with leaders and global businesses and present real tactics for applying new strategies in your career. Watch and subscribe today at itpro.tv slash podcasts. All right, welcome back to TechNado, and this is our third of three interviews in our Come See IT Pro TV promotion, and our last and final guest, we saved the best for last, this is Olga Hart, who is the IT manager at Radiology Partners up in Ohio. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, and you? I, I'm fantastic. Thank you very much for asking. So, uh, what does, uh, this, this sounds like a, a smaller organization, it's well, not necessarily smaller. You mentioned a couple locations, but how, how big is this IT team? It's uh, The IT team is actually spread across the nation. Oh, wow. So we go from as far east as New Jersey um, and the Tampa area all the way to the Los Angeles area. So, so I, I've, that's, yeah, it's that's a lot bigger than I thought. We are from <laughs> sea to shining, shining sea. sea. Now, with radiology, uh, I know one of the things that, that you deal with is imaging, and some of those images can be incredibly large. Yeah. So you deal like really heavy with WAN links and. Guess, well, the biggest issue is images are coming slow for the radiologists. They can't load fast enough. So um, it depends on the internet bandwidth at the hospital and facilities, um, as well as any any kind of networking that's taking place. So and I'm, I'm no doctor. When we, I promise. <laughs> but he, uh, he plays, <laughs> one, he <laughs> he plays, plays one, one on, on TV. When, uh, <laughs> when we talk about radiology, we were talking about like CAT scans, MRIs. CAT kind of scans, MRIs, yes. Okay. And, yes, I, and I've X-rays. heard that a single MRI can be, uh, you know, gigabytes, if yes. not terabytes of data. Yes, yes. They just save it yes. as a gift, though. Yes. Yeah. And, and no. Yeah. no. You know, the doctor throws a meme of that can, choice on yeah. it. Actually, at the right time, as a I believe that's how it happened. Uh, oh, man. I'll tell you no. what, if I saw that at a hospital, like a doctor was like, click, there it is. <laughs> yeah, like, wait a second. Wait, uh, wait a minute. Is that an animated GIF? He's like, it's a GIF. Yeah. Then, yeah then, I went to med school. Yeah. <laughs> so what are some of the other problems uh, that, you, that you face? Um, um, some of our users use voice recognition systems in order to dictate most radiologists use a voice recognition system to dictate the radiology report. Um, so if they're having any electronic issues um, with regard to that, you'll you'll be you'll be surprised at how much sometimes you'll they'll be static where the voice recognition system isn't picking up on the words that the radiologist is dictating, but there's electronic static because they're iPhones right next to their speech mic. So, so if you move the iPhone out hands length, it'll minimize the static. So, yeah, so you're not only dealing with uh, big imaging uh, right. files, but now also audio files and stuff. Right, well. right, right. Very anti Apple. Yes. Right, and no, no Apple devices. Yeah. No, that healthcare, healthcare is uh, uh, not, uh, most of healthcare clinical applications do not run well on Apple devices, so. Um, mm. True. Yeah, oh, no, that's true. Yeah, it's uh, true. Most of the custom software, you know, like the, the big medical suites like Epic mm -hmm. and all that mm -hmm. are, are really just Windows only. Oh, yes, yeah. Windows based. I don't know if either of you guys have dealt with that stuff, so probably no. not. I, I have. Yeah. I, it, I, 
Yeah. I'm sweating. I'm yeah, like yes. sweating. Pain just to look yeah, at I'm it. Yeah, like, oh, that's bad, bad stuff. Now, so, is, it, is it older versions of Windows too? Like, because I know we've been talking a little bit about like Windows Seven end of life, what, like that. Windows Seven is at the end of life, and many clinical applications, especially with imaging, um, were not compatible with newer versions of Windows. So they've been doing upgrades and updating their code in several clinical. Systems across the country are actually upgrading from Windows 7 to Windows 8 um, why just this year. Why, wouldn't, why don't we just make the jump it just to where depends. we are today? It ju- <laughs> it just like we depends. just like to deal with this again and Right, right, yeah. right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> it, could vary, it could vary. Yeah. Right. These custom applications, I've always wondered because I've worked in a couple of places and they're like, we still use Internet Explorer 8 because our financial right. software was written to work only with Internet Explorer 8. Is that something that's vetted when you adopt these software? Like some, is it because you don't have any other choice, or do you go, "Yep, I want the one that runs on Windows XP only," so I have to deal with those? In some cases, we have no choice. Ah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, I feel like there's a business model there. Well, yes, someone's making that decision <laughs> at the level of of the person that doesn't actually touch the machine. Mm. Probably They're like, well, this one, this one's only fifty thousand mm. dollars, so let's do that one. Well, you know, you take software like Epic, where it costs millions and millions of dollars to deploy, but then they want millions of dollars to upgrade it as well. Right. So right. the choice isn't, like, they'll have a Windows 10 version available, but if it costs millions of dollars to do it, all of a sudden that extended support from Microsoft doesn't look so bad at 20 bucks a computer per year, whatever they're charging. So, you know, let's, uh, let's go back in time a little bit and talk about how you got into IT, how you got into the role that you're in right now, because you... You started, uh, we talked a little bit earlier about how you started when your company didn't truly have a, an IT department, right? No, no. It was pure dumb luck how I started in IT. So I uh, started my career late 80s when I was young and in my early 20s and started as a bank teller. And they were developing a new department called electronic banking. And that was, that was oh, that was, and, and they were having a hard time um, getting candidates. So they had asked me, Olga, would you be interested in going, joining our electronic banking department? I'm like, sure. What do I need to do? Well, we need to help program pin codes for ATM cards. So, well, sure. Why not? So, um, I, uh, transferred departments and back then the, uh, banking system in the Northeast Ohio area, um, did a mass mailing of ATM cards. ATM cards did not come pre-programmed with your PIN code as they do today, right? So the customer would get their their card. They'd have to call into the number. They would put into the telephone number their PIN code. I, on the other end, is the person, would put in my code to come up with a check digit in order to program their ATM card for their ATM cards to be used. That was the early days of electronic banking. Um, it was before IT kind of even existed. Um, fast forward another six months to a year, they had a, uh, they wanted to use this new fancy loan software. And this loan software they wanted to um, install in all the branches in Northeast Ohio. And the loan software came in a box of diskettes, five and a quarter inch diskettes. And they said, how are we going to install this in the systems? And so I got the box of five and a half quarter inch diskettes. And the installation process was, Olga, you drive two branches in Northeast Ohio to install this software, loan software into the computers 
Disc one of two, disc two, uh, or one of ten, two of ten, three of ten. God forbid you get a abort, retry, ignore because the disk drive wasn't reading. Right. Um, install the software. After you install the software, then I had to configure the software in order to, um, for the loan officers to be able to print the loan documents into the, the printer at the branch. On top of that, I still had to configure the application and train the loan officers how to use the loan software. And so distributed computing then was... Olga, <laughs> with a box of diskettes, driving from Olga branch net. to branch to branch, <laughs> Olga right? Transport protocol, right, OTP. Right. So, so that's kind of like how I got into IT. I kind of embraced anything that anybody else didn't want to touch. Um, you know, a funny story from the old days, you know, and I was reflecting on when typewriters were being removed out of the banking system and WordPerfect was around, right? And so they installed WordPerfect, which was a glorified word processor, right? Um, and so sometimes people were working on documents, but if people back then, we didn't lock our computers when we walked away or anything like that. Well, some people that were really creative if somebody left for lunch and they were working like a big disaster recovery document and what they would walk away for lunch and what they did is they changed the font color so it's white on white. So when the person came back from lunch, it appeared like their whole file got wiped out. And here was just, you know, because, you know, it, back then you could change the font color. You could do white on white and Amazing. the file is still there. Would the dot matrix printer still print I, this in or just, no, the, it would just run we, back and forth? The, we still had dot matrix printers yeah. back then. So and the green lines and those papers and data cards and... Really important question. Yes. Uh, when you installed the software, did it come with Oregon Trail? <laughs> <laughs> no, it did not. <laughs> uh, I was really hoping no. those five and a quarter had an extra, a like, five and oh, a quarter. printed your loan documents. Oh. Also, I got dysentery. Well, I, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I I was so happy because those those, those five and a quarter inch disquettes were very sensitive. And when we went to the three and a half inch drives, oh, I'm telling you what, we were hardcore back then. Yeah. I mean, we were the hot shots if we had a three and a half and if you had a computer that had both drives, oh, oh sweet, yeah. yes. That's the IT department. Now, this sounds like a, a licensing violation if if, uh, if you're taking the same box of software all around to all these different locations. I, f I feel like uh, you just bought the one license. No, no, no. We, we properly license. I, I, you know, friends. Yeah, they could have sent you a couple back, boxes then. Back, back, back then, we, <laughs> I was friends with the audit department. Yeah. And, you know, in the early days of banking, the OCC, when the bank examiner comes, it's true. It still happens today, right? Yeah. Um, so, no, we, we were fully in compliance it was it was Olga transport protocol not BitTorrent right <laughs> right so so and my GPS were with those rad maps you know the oh yeah, yeah. yeah. oh yeah the ones you get you get the books we had a highlighter the map, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah and my dad asked me recently he said hey I, I just got a new uh, one of those you, want, you want my yeah. old one I was like no, I can't think of any reason you know, why I, I would. I just threw out my atlas a few months ago, and because uh, I always kept it in the trunk yeah. of the car, yeah. just just in case. Mm -hmm. And and it was hard because I, I, I thought, you know, what if what if you're somewhere you have no cell phone signal and zombie but, apocalypse? Yeah, yeah I was thinking zombie apocalypse. That's what if things go crazy? Anyway, I threw it out and didn't replace it. So yeah. sorry, but I do have a towel in the trunk. So there's I've, that. I've got the one for my dad. <laughs> if you want to. I'm sure he didn't throw it away. Then. It's, it's on a shelf. Uh, so, can you tell us a little bit about uh, you know fast forwarding back to now? What uh, what things are you studying on ITPR TV? I know you've you've been a member not too long, about what six months or so. so? About six months. So, uh, what has been interesting to you? So, so um, I'm more so going uh, toward the operations governance path. Um, so recently, knowing that um, Axelos did an upgrade, or you know 
refresh of ITEL, right? So the ITEL for us uh, foundation was recently released in February. So I had uh, started my journey with getting certified um, with ITEL for foundation. Um, and then as well as um, Agile Shift and uh, various um, um, foundations. So currently I'm studying the professional series. Uh, but, you know, within a six, I mean, I literally became a member six months ago, and I've already had three certs. So um, at this point in my career, I'm more of on the higher, on the governance path. Um, I did take my Network Plus certification when we had AOL dial-up dates. <laughs> Is that lifetime? Is and, that lifetime? And, yeah. Uh, so you're set. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I nothing's guess. changed. I'm well, I mean, I, I hey, the questions been. of going... How do you get that CD to people? <laughs> right. <laughs> AOL set up. Right. Yep. Right. I mean, and you know, I mean, yeah. And it's just like, or even, you know, how to do a boot desk to recover, you know, Windows operating system, you know. Um, you know, of course, you know, back then the joke was format C colon. That was mm -hmm. always the favors DOS joke do of the anymore. day, right? Uh, format C colon. So that was always... Uh, I'm I'm having like Man horrible prop. flashbacks of like getting a hard drive that wasn't formatted, and I was like 12, and I was oh, trying. Oh, you had to format your own drive. But I I wasn't I didn't know that, and oh. so I spent like a good 18 hours going. This is not working. I did not didn't didn't go to sleep. <laughs> Finally, whooped out my old DOS book, and and I was like, wait a minute. What if? Oh no! And boom! And then it was it was glory. Well, thank you, Olga, for confirming. And my, I was doing an informal survey of the the three winners, and and none have watched any of Justin's content. <laughs> uh, <laughs> confirming my my hypothesis. You know what's funny? None have watched Peter's content either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Do other stuff here. Uh, me too. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you, Olga, for uh, for taking the thank time and, and coming in and telling us your story. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you for having me. This has been a great experience. Definitely. So. Definitely. definitely. And definitely uh, a geek dream trip. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right yeah. Yes, yeah. I am. Well, thank you uh, for coming down, and, and thank you to, to all of our winners in the uh, Nicomsey IT Pro TV contest, and thank you all for watching. But stay tuned because we have more Technado coming up right after this. The IT Pro TV app is available for iOS and tvOS. The modern user interface makes navigation easy. Recently watched videos can be found on the home screen, as well as our daily live streams. Choose landscape mode for larger viewing. Access the entire course library by clicking on the play icon. Navigate our content by category, certification, and job role. Learn where you want and when you want as a premium annual member by downloading episodes for offline viewing. Watch on the go and pick up later on any of your favorite devices. So head to the App Store and download the IT Pro TV app. All right, welcome back to TechNATO, and congratulations again uh, to our three winners. They're a lot of fun uh, to to meet some members and and hear some stories from people that have, uh, you know, actually benefited from the training here at IT Pro TV. Yeah, and several of them actually uh, admitted to listening to TechNATO on a regular basis, so I was surprised yeah. to hear that. And not a single one had heard of Justin. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Actually, that's not true. <laughs> I walked into stand-up, and one was like, I know your face. I know your like, face. Oh, no, wait, that's not Peter. Well, <laughs> But from us or from, like, you know, the wanted posters? Yeah. 
That's, that's I'll never irrespective that of face. this conversation. I'll never forget those dead eyes. <laughs> he, he's soulless, he is. <laughs> I don't know why they became a pirate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's Halloween. So, yep, it uh, is. Yeah, that's, a, that's when we're filming this here. So, uh, and speaking of which, we had a really fun webinar earlier today, Threats in Disguise, where uh, Don Yu and, and Daniel talked about some... Uh, uh, malicious devices that could be um, hiding in in costume, basically in in your uh, office. From um, what did we have, we had the land turtle. We had a little. Yeah, the fake uh, USB network adapter. We had the keylogger that was disguised as a USB extension cable. That was cool. Yeah. Uh, there was a Wi-Fi pumpkin hidden inside a pumpkin. Actually, a camera hidden inside a pumpkin as well. So we had a lot of cool stuff. Well, hopefully you saw that. But if you missed it, uh, you can still access the entire archive of webinars uh, from IT Pro TV. If you just head over to itpro.tv/webinars, there you can see the upcoming webinars as well as all the past ones. And we'll probably get that one up um, midweek, uh, the week after Halloween, so like first week of, of November here, uh, depending on, on when you are watching this episode. Uh, but we do have another live webinar coming up very soon on uh, Thursday, November 7th. It is Digital Transformation in 2020, and Joe Peacock uh, will be taking us through that along with Wes Bryant, Thursday, November 7th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So again, head over to itpro.tv slash webinars where you can sign up for that one. And while you're on the World Wide Web, why not head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado. Uh, there's a 30% coupon code for uh, all subscriptions to IT Pro TV. Also, uh, some forms you can fill out to get a demo uh, of IT Pro TV's business uh, applications there, and you can see all the fun things you can do uh, behind the scenes to manage your team in IT Pro TV. That's it. Uh, go.itpro.tv slash technado. All right, well, gentlemen, uh, I know we want to get out of here because we're all, uh, I assume, going to trick-or-treat tonight. Absolutely. No. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> it's it's really odd because I tell people I'm like I love October Halloween. Yeah, but then and they go, oh, you go, you dress up. No. Yeah. Oh, you give out candy. Absolutely not. Is the 500 yard thing? Uh, no, no, it's not it. It has nothing to do with those wanted posters or that <laughs> mandatory reporting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Also, you're in that wheel. Um, <laughs> I, I think I just like the fall change, and I like horror movies. Like I'm a giant horror movie fan. Yeah. And uh, just to point out, we are in Florida, and I believe it's 88 degrees today. So yeah, it's been pretty warm the last it's, few it's days. Pumpkin spice weather. I'll tell you what. Yeah, I'll tell you what. It's it, supposed to be tonight, though. Tonight, it's going to get down actually. To the 50s. Yeah, it is. It's supposed to start cooling down over the yeah. next few days. And, and I know people around the country are going. You jerks! Yeah. You know, where I've been looking at the weather up in Milwaukee because we're heading up there a little bit to uh, to meet another member, and it's like twenty eight. You gotta break out the snow jacket. And I, I never flip, had to do flip. that trick or treat in like a, a parka. You know, coming in from Florida, this is you, you go. How do you there. do that? You don't. You, you're like, what are you under under your jacket? <laughs> you suit up. I'm a ghost. Trust me. You just dress up like Chewy or an Ewok uh, or something. Oh yeah, you do something warm. Warm costumes. That makes yeah. sense. All right. Well. Uh, hope you all had a uh, a good Halloween and a safe and happy one and are still enjoying your sugar high from all that candy. But we will see you back here next week for more Technado. See you then.